everybody and welcome to another episode of the Threads of Autism podcast. Today's title is If Your Autistic Child Struggles, Does That Make You a Bad Parent? Well, very simply, no, it does not. And more importantly, nor does it make your child a bad one or horrible either. Really important to think about that. You know, there is a reason for every action or behavior, and it's time we started to think about the why instead of the ways to stop it or what the consequent punishment should be. Schools, I hope you're listening out there. The behavior is literally just the tip of the iceberg, and there could be a multitude of reasons, sensations, feelings, anxieties, emotions under the surface that have led to it. I mean, I think we're all aware of that sort of image of an iceberg. You know, it's way bigger under the surface than it is on top. And that's how we have to think about this. You know, I I increasingly feel that even though I can explain sometimes how it feels for my son, other people still don't really get it or know how to actually empathize. So, so, you know, if a child, for example, displays negative or unwanted or inappropriate behaviors in the classroom, and the teacher takes them aside and asks them about it and it turns out that they have you know a problem at home or parents are divorcing or a pet has died um, or you know the window broke in their bedroom and it was really scary and they didn't sleep well you know even if the teacher and we don't live it or experience that or know of it ourselves we immediately empathize we are able to do that we excuse the child it's all good So why is it then that when an autistic child displays similar negative, unwanted, inappropriate behavior, is asked why, I mean, the fact that they can even verbalize and communicate this is astonishing enough in itself. And if they are able to say and describe then that, oh, well, you know, when the projector grows on, the light feels like a hot piercing rod through their eyelids, or a particular window being left open feels like literally a tornado in their ears, or the scraping of the chairs every time people stand up and sit down feels like knives being stabbed into their skin. Why are they not then being empathized with, or even believed? More often than not, they are simply dismissed and expected to basically man up. You know, these are not sensitive slash weak, pathetic children. They are not exaggerating, looking for attention or favoritism or special treatment, and nor are they stubborn, uncooperative, unwilling to try, not empathetic to their classmates who are all fine with the window open, nor are they selfish, and nor do they have bad parents. (laughs) Schools again, I hope you're listening. You know, autistic children cannot change the intensity of how these things feel for them. I mean, if you had a red hot poker stuck through your eyelid, I promise you, you'd be doing a lot more than displaying slightly distressed behavior and, you know, possibly biting your arm to, you know, to get through the pain. You know, they are not lying. We must believe them. And, you know, again, I guess people, this is why you sometimes hear this ridiculous saying, oh, well, don't people grow out of their autism? I mean, how utterly ridiculous. The thing is that over time, with the right support and through their developmental journey that is different to a neurotypical's developmental journey, they do learn to desensitize themselves. I don't think they're ever not impacted by it. Their brains do not work the same way as ours. And sadly, 
too often the case is that they actually are just as distressed and just as affected, but they learn not to ask for help because they know it won't work. And they hide how distressing it is to them. And this is so physically, emotionally, mentally, desperately unhealthy for them. And you know, the tragic thing is <laughs> that the teachers, the classmates, we, we can all make small adjustments to help the situation. If we could truly understand the way their brain works, that they are not lying, believe them, you know, have information about these experiences that they have and how they do feel, and it's, you know, educated in it, the rest of the class, then the empathy will come. And then, of course, of course you would do that for a classmate. Of course, if 20 kids in the class want the window open because they're hot, but one autistic child needs it closed because it's so having such an incredible impact on them. Um, if the classmates understood and were educated, had the information and knew, they would be okay with it. They wouldn't be turning around going, that's not fair. We all want it, you know, open and he wants it closed or she has to have it closed. You know, and I mean, God knows what that translates to socially on the playground, you know, at the end of the lesson. So yeah, <laughs> I'm going to uh, talk broadly about three sort of main areas that, you know, all of which encompass the general diagnosis of autism, i.e. difficulty in varying degrees of social communication, social imagination, and social interaction. If your autistic child struggles, first of all, I mean, I don't know an autistic child who doesn't. <laughs> and if they, you know, as sort of communities of parents of autistic children ourselves can be quite judgmental of each other, which is which is a shocker, I know, but it happens. And we, as neurotypical parents, I guess, find it extremely difficult to not compare ourselves, I guess, and not follow those typical journeys you have with children and them all sort of, you know, milestones and everything being on, on a par with kids their own age and all of that stuff. You know, it's it, it's really difficult for a parent to talk about the genuine struggles of their autistic child. If you do hear some, it's probably probably half of what really can go on because they're too scared to talk about it, which is, again, another very detrimental thing to the parents. You know, we need to feel like we are being believed and not judged as bad parents. And even amongst our own autism community parents, there just really should be no judgment. We should be good listeners. We should believe it because it's true and it's happening. And it's not our fault that our children struggle. It's the way their brains work and the fact that the world that they're in is not suited to the way that those brains work. Again, I don't really want others to normalize these struggles. You know, oh, well, you know, like I've said in previous episodes, so-and-so doesn't like, you know, gets very sad at school too or tired or you know hates the squeaky doors too um this is on a whole another level and the usual view on these struggles sort of historically i guess has been around cognition behavior and now more increasingly sort of motor skills and control of their bodies and that is typically kind of from sort of come from the top down, as it were. So all the literature and research and, you know, 
professors and academics and highly intelligent people who have put so much of what we're dealing with today in place and you know thankfully that is starting to change everything has been very much top down from people who don't actually have a lived experience of autism now however things really genuinely are starting to change and we are starting to learn from the bottom up from the lived experiences of actually autistic individuals many of whom are now you know incredible professors and professionals themselves and and that's amazing it's absolutely incredible it's absolutely I mean I feel hope in that positive steps are being taken it just is going to be very confusing um, I think so much terminology is going to change and of course the schools will be the last thing to change which for parents is really the first thing that needs changing and I do sometimes also feel a bit though like persecuted just by being a parent of an autistic child you know from the top down we've we are realizing now that we have to unlearn things um which is frustrating anger inducing you know it's it's difficult because our childhood children have paid the price for that and at the same time we're trying to explain to those from the bottom up who are also like dissing us because we've done it all wrong and you know that that just to be patient we we don't you know we are learning and we haven't had control over a lot of the things we've had to put in place for our children our children by law have to go to school their attendance rates have to be x y and z there are so few specialist provisions for them we have to fight and fight and fight and fight through crazy paperwork and systems to get their needs met we are told and have been historically told by mega professionals that it's x y and z and and every i mean even the ehcps now i just even now i read them and i know they've improved since they were called statements of need but oh for goodness sake i feel like my, particularly for my son they are so irrelevant outcomes and cognition and learning and social emotional and oh <laughs> It's, they've been designed around the departments that fund them and and those are not the issues around our children I just I just think everything in those things is wrong but hey yeah that's it's probably gonna take a few generations to change to be honest and you know from the bottom up we want we want we are we are trying to do best by our children and we can't change this system overnight and I just feel like I'm being shouted at from both sides sometimes as a parent of an autistic child and what it tends you know drives you towards doing is to withdrawing and not speaking up and that's the last thing we should be doing we are the best voices for our children and you know especially in my case I am his voice he he is non-speaking and um, so yeah back to the earlier point about cognition behavior and motor control you know these kind of top-down ways to deal with how a child is struggling have been around cognition as in the behaviors have been perceived as well lack of cognition and I, I'm, I'm, I think you know 2023 I think we're all pretty pretty sure and okay with the fact and know and believe that any autistic individual needs to be assumed to be fully competent because that is what they are obviously other diagnoses comorbid comorbidities is that the right word aside um, or other disabilities injuries delays etc but on the whole an autistic individual 
is fully competent just because they are delayed in their learning or do not speak like my son does not mean they are not competent so you can kiss the cognition thing out of you know goodbye then there's the whole behavioral approach trying to for lack of a better word train the child who now they are assuming is lacking in cognition whose autism means that they don't really understand their behaviors, I guess, and now we're going to teach them the right way to behave. Um, slowly, slowly, tiny little stages, bit by bit, we're going to teach them. I seriously hope that's increasingly going out the window or is being redesigned in a better way, because I do think it's important to understand the behavior and to know how to break it down and figure out what triggers are and figure out how to redirect, etc., a long way from really thinking about why did the behavior happen in the first place and also that some of the behaviors are absolutely vital and necessary to the autistic brain ah. and then the final one which is which is increasingly what we're heading into in today's world is the knowledge around the fact that autistic individuals have real struggles with their motor skills and coordination you know, especially fine motor skills when it comes to non-speaking individuals, and that they are very often fully competent and everything is up there in their minds, the words, the actions, the reasoning, the everything, but they are not in full control of their bodies. And that's a huge thing to consider when you look at behaviors that you perceive to be unwanted, inappropriate, or, or negative. And I'm going to try and stop saying the word behaviors because I'm pretty sure that word's going to go out the window as well as, as being sort of too negative and, and not really appropriate either. So, um, so yes, the three things I'll touch on around the struggles are anxiety, medications, and SIB, which is self-injurious behavior. So um, I'll just touch on them briefly now, because obviously these are not long episodes. And also, I'm no professional, by the way. This is total parent speak. <laughs> you don't have to believe a single word I'm saying. I would love to hear any input you want to give or advice or even a personal story it would be amazing. You can email me anytime, trish at autismthreads.co.uk. That is also my website that is an online shop where you can access things like my newsletter and blogs as well. Um, I am a bit behind, but I do tend to typically write up some of these podcast episodes as blogs. Yeah, please do. I'd love to hear from you. Right, anxiety. People seem to assume these days that anxiety just goes hand in hand with autism, you know, as if it's part of the diagnosis. And it is absolutely not. If the world was better suited to the way autistic individuals' brains work, there would be no anxiety. And I increasingly believe that that would be such an incredible world. It, it truly would. I mean, I would want to be in it, for sure, 100%. Obviously, anxiety comes in many forms, social, emotional, sensory. And when you arrive at the school gates, especially if it's a mainstream school, all three of those are like a 10 kilogram sack of stones, each lumped onto your shoulders before your first lesson even begins. It's a lot to deal with. It is okay if your child struggles with anxiety. You are not alone and you are not a bad parent. 
you know, our, our instincts are obviously we don't want our children to suffer with anxiety and we want to fix it and we want to make it go away. But I'm increasingly starting to think that the best thing to do is to actually recognize that it is going to be there. It, if it goes away, it will come back again at other times. It may be more severe and less severe depending on the situations, but anxiety will be there. And maybe if we resonate more with how our children are feeling and recognize it, help them to recognize what it actually is, don't make it sound like such a negative thing. You know, I get the assumption that some of these children are constantly feeling like, I'm not allowed to be anxious, I shouldn't be being anxious, which makes you more anxious, which then scares you, you know, and that starts to have very physical impacts on your body. And I don't have any answers here, total parent speak. If you medicate your child, again, you are not a bad parent if your child is not diagnosed with depression, but you medicate them with an antidepressant for anxiety because it works and it's, you know, and again, works is, is a big word, you know, we're not talking about curing or stopping anxiety. Um, typically an antidepressant will simply help take the edge off and allow that person's true personality to run through and cope and manage the mental difficulties that anxiety brings, you know, that negative voice inside your head and, and the, the urgent need to panic then then absolutely maybe it will come down to recognizing it in the moment your child is able to verbalize and communicate with you and you name it and you work together on it whether it's through breathing techniques whether it's through regularly taking a day off school when needed we just downtime you know it's a regular consistent thing you know stuff for school whatever attendance calendar whether it's counseling, whether it's a significant other, whether it's time in nature, whether it's whether it's time with an animal. Yeah, it's a really, really, really tough one. And you are not a bad parent if your autistic child struggles with anxiety. The other one is medications, which again, as I've mentioned with anxiety meds, I guess, I mean, my son Henry is on an antidepressant for anxiety. He is not diagnosed with depression and I don't think he he doesn't know that that's what he's taking. He's happy to take it and I know even though he can't communicate that if he's not happy with the way a medication makes him feel, he knows to refuse to take it. So that's how I kind of measure with him and I think our reasoning behind him going on to that was because when anxiety in these extreme forms that, you know, typically only very few autistic parents actually own up to and can feel comfortable speaking about, it reached such a bad point that, you know, he was not functioning and not leaving the house and his world was shrinking badly and we were all suffering, um, him more than any of us, obviously. And, you know, regardless, any child is never going to, whether, whether it's taking on academic learning as your focus and, and attending school and getting their education, if that's the driver, no child can learn in a state of anxiety. And, you know, we had much bigger issues on our plate, like, you know, ADHD and things, but 
you know, getting the anxiety under control was one of the best things we ever did. And I'm not saying that he is not anxious. He often still is anxious, but I do feel he is more regulated in that anxiety and that on a more regular basis, there's never any consistency. It doesn't spike as hectically as it used to. You know, Lord knows what puberty will bring, which is around the corner for us, and I'm petrified. But anyway, um, you know, the other medications, obviously, there are a lot of things that do go hand in hand with autism. There's ODD, which is Oppositional Defiance Disorder, PDA, public, oh, public, <laughs> I was going to say public displays of affection. No, not that PDA, <laughs> Pathological Demand Avoidance, ADHD, as I've mentioned before. And yes, wonderfully, ADHD can be medicated, but be warned that it is an absolute minefield, and even more so with a non-speaking or non-verbal autistic child. I gave up long ago um, on some good advice, trying to separate the autism from the ADHD and vice versa. I've come to terms with the fact, and I mean, maybe one day an actually autistic and ADHD person will be able to tell us that I'm now have been advised completely incorrectly. <laughs> but anyway, you know, that that it's not wise to try and separate the two and that they are good and bad for each other, really. Our son, long story short, is not medicated for his ADHD. I wish he could be. I mean, mainly to satisfy my own curiosity, just to see what the autism would look like when the ADHD is under control, but I've given up that little plan, hope, wish, wish um, a while ago. And because he reacted so badly and never let a professional advise on medication for your child when they are not prepared to come and live it and witness it, certainly not if they tell you to stick with it for six weeks, and you are describing something catastrophic going on in your child, and they tell you to just stick with it. <laughs> okay, no. We need, to, we need to have more confidence in ourselves as parents, and we need to have our children's backs more. And when they are reacting badly to something, and we have to believe it's, you know, this all... No. Okay, so it was just no. I, I, I'll... I don't care what anybody else tries to tell me to stick with. It's, you know, we can't make it, we can't assess if this has been effective unless he's been on these meds for whatever, three to six weeks. Well, no. Um, I'm going to stick up for my son here and go, no. And what I've witnessed, you would not cope with. So, no. <laughs> and I mean, who, why do they make it so complicated? I know the brain is a very complicated thing, but honestly, the different types of medications and the different forms and the fact that these things need to be little beads dipped in yogurt that have to be swallowed whole. And I mean, oh, I have a boy with a very, very literal mind. And you know what? If it's in any kind of solid format, you know, that needs to be bitten before it's swallowed and, you know, or chewed. And that is perfect logical sense and it's the truth. So don't ask him to swallow a capsule. And oh, because he can't do that, you um, can't, we can't look at trialing, you know, more than three quarters of the meds. Anyway, I'll shut up about ADHD meds now. Just to say, again, if your child is medicated for ADHD, you are not a bad parent. <sighs> if your child is not happy on them, um, 
yes, I do think, you know, sometimes we, even parents make mistakes and we make decisions to try things that we regret, but it's part of the journey. And if I had never tried ADHD medication, then I would never have come to the solid conclusion that we're in. I'm not going to say that I wouldn't try them again in the future. I might. And and I'm okay with that. And so I do, you know, within reason, think we should be trying what we think will help and work. And if you can get your child's consent on that and agreement, then fantastic. Um, and, you know, when things go wrong, another big lesson I'm learning very slowly, maybe too slowly, but I, I think I'm there now, thanks to his older siblings, <laughs> is when I have lost my rag, <clears throat> I... Um, I apologize when we have made mistakes. Apologize and move on. You know, do not harp on the guilt. Um, it's not going to do you any good. And stick with your gut instincts, you know. Not easy to do. The third and final issue is obviously SIB, which is self-injurious behavior. That, by the way, is not the same thing as self-harming. I don't know if it will change, obviously self-injurious behavior, there's that behavior word again in time, but I think it is really important to not refer to it as self-harming. Um, that is something typically a neurotypical person will do. I mean, here she says, no professional qualifications whatsoever, but my son does not injure himself on purpose um, and that sounds really weird to say because obviously he's doing it and um, I just think the difference lies in the fact that he does not have the kind of control that others might have over his body and what it is doing and for him it is a less of a thing of inflicting pain to make him feel better I, I don't discount that there is a sensory feedback from it but it is something I think that he, he doesn't mentally have a lot of control over and his closure on the emotion that he's feeling needs to come with this physical action to end it and I have we have seen this since he was a tiny child and I am so in awe of this little boy on so many levels when I think of you know the years that have gone by and how much more I'm aware of what those anxieties are and how the environment impacts his senses that I didn't know when he was little and the, and the things we were expecting him to handle and when his frustration showed the fact that he didn't absolutely go flipping do lally and start scratching through walls or kicking holes and things I don't I don't know but he would take something nearby like a coffee cup or a paperweight or a book and he would forcibly, but not not as though losing his temper, just forcibly put it down right in front of either my husband or I, really quite hard. And he just seemed to have to do that in order to end whatever he was feeling. And also in part to get our attention to help enlighten us to the fact that he was struggling. You know, he always seems to believe that we fully understand that he's talking to us through his eyes and his brain but we but he's not you know we we need the language and he can't give it to us and these actions 
you know, if you prevented that action, you know, anybody else's reaction to a toddler doing that would be, oh, no, that is rude and naughty and very bad behavior. And we don't do that. You don't lose your temper in front of mommy and daddy and you will not slam down cups. Um, but that's, that's, that's like 360 degrees on what is actually going on. He is trying to communicate to us that he is what I now realized his main emotion around self-injurious behavior is frustration. And it's a frustration that he can't get what's in his brain out to us. Um, and I just think it's incredible that actually the injurious behavior isn't worse than it is because I think the frustrations are deep. Um, now that he's 12, he's particularly into constructing things and he will spend hours and hours with either kinetics or wooden blocks or bricks or string or combination of all of those artists tape and he doesn't want to be engaged with language he likes things on his terms he doesn't really trust many individuals around him to not interfere you know he needs those things to be on his terms it's his um it's his zone of regulation. He is so happy, usually outside in this space, doing his little constructions, and he doesn't want to be engaged with. And he certainly doesn't want to be helped. So even though we're keeping an eye on him, and I can sense the frustration starting to kick in so the building blocks are not stacking up as high as he wants them to, or they fall over. And, oh, it's such a gut wrench because I, I so desperately want to step in there and help him or show him that he could use glue or nails. Um, but that's not how this works with Henry's brain. And he needs to do it himself. And you watch and the frustration kicks in where his mental image and what he's trying to do in his brain is not translating and the body is not playing ball, is balancing the wooden blocks or whatever. And the frustration kicks in and it is naught to 100 in an absolute nanosecond. You can be sitting right next to him at school. He is almost always with a teaching assistant or carer. And it's, it's unavoidable. I mean, those moments can be so quick and straight. His teeth go straight to the arm. He's 12 years old, those are quite big teeth, they have broken the skin, we are developing some scar tissue around them. It's not great, I'm not going to lie, it's not great. And, uh, you know, I just, it just is what it is. I am, I, am, I am not a bad parent for the fact that my son does this to himself, and I'm also not, you know, not sort of blind as it were. I am, it does obviously deeply distress me, but I do not think it is helpful for him to be aware of my distress because my reaction for too long has been very neurotypical around it. And I have learned through him and him showing me what he needs with gestural prompts that he needs me to simply resonate with his frustration. He's not asking me to solve his problems. He certainly does not view the fact that he's bitten his arm in the same way that I do. And it is nowhere near as painful to him as I am imagining it to be. And even if it is, it's, it's the least of his concerns. And he needs me to absolutely drop everything I'm doing. Um, take all of my own thoughts and hopes and plans to 
uh, you know, make it stop, figure out how how to him stop doing it in the future, you know, blame myself for the fact that I let it happen in the first place when I was right there. You know, that all needs to be stripped away. Um, you know, sitting down still in my mind thinking, why, 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 why does he do this? Why? You know, um, that's all got to go. He knows. He, I don't know how he knows, but he knows if these things are on my mind, I have to be completely clear. Every single thing has to drop away and I have to get down on his level. I apologize for how he is feeling and I give him a deep pressure hug from behind and he pulls my arms around his tummy around the front and, and, we, and I squeeze hard and we, you know, he very quickly comes down and it can be quite tiring for him and he can be a bit thirsty and a bit hungry so I have to be aware of those things depending on the situation and he can fight it if the frustration is still really raging within him and I can get a few butts with the head on my chest and things but overall me empathizing with him and going I'm so sorry for how you're feeling Henry is frustrated or Henry is cross I'm so sorry it didn't work and then being quiet and giving the deep pressure hugs. And I'm not like, I'm not here telling you this. I don't know why I'm telling you this, babbling on with my own flipping personal story. I mean, every single child is different, but I, I don't know what that kind of coming down for any other child would be like. So I'm not sitting here saying, well, you should all be giving your children deep pressure hugs from behind and wrapping your arms around them. I mean, some children won't let you near them, but I am definitely saying resonate with how they're feeling try not to panic and strip away all your thoughts and expectations and concerns and just be in the moment with them whether that requires you to be literally seven meters away it doesn't matter and yes okay you might have to witness this self-injurious behavior but rushing in there to stop it and acting like you know like he's just run into the road full of traffic is not the way to go and you know um i'm no saint <laughs> That's exactly how I treated him for years. So again, um, self-injurious behavior does not make you a bad parent. And, you know, just, just summing it up in general, I guess, um, going back to my first sentence, it, it does not make you a bad parent if your autistic struggles more than others in any way, in other ways that I haven't mentioned. And most importantly, it does not make your child a bad or horrible or difficult person. It does not. They are absolute saints for what they deal with on a daily basis. They really genuinely are. So I'm going to end off there today. There will be no more episodes, I don't think, until the end of August. I'm going to take a break in August, mainly because my hands will be full, full, full with all three kiddies in the house over the summer holidays. And I look forward to returning on the 1st of September for the next episode. In the meantime, <laughs> all the best for those summer holidays. Yeah, positive attitude. Wake up in the morning, give yourself a few nanoseconds just to take a few breaths, ground yourself, arm yourself, wrap your heart around itself with an extra layer um, and go into the days with hope rather than fear if you can, yeah. Only if you can. <laughs> I'm starting to sound like a, I don't know, life coach now, which I most definitely am not. And uh, yeah, remember you are not alone and your child is going to be okay. 